to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. Better Golf Pod Nation, welcome back to the program, and we appreciate you joining us today for one of the final tournaments of the 2022 season. As always, I am your host, Tee Off Sports. I'm joined by my partner, Sticks Picks, and the two of us will be your conductors through the board for this week's Wyndham Championship. For anyone out there wondering, we will be continuing the show into the offseason and covering all the fall events for your betting and DFS needs. But before we get into what you should expect out of Sedgefield Country Club and how we can take advantage of that from a handicapping perspective, Nick, do you want to very quickly run me through how you fared last week at the Rocket Mortgage? Uh, DFS was an absolute bloodbath. Um, I took a very hard stance on some not chalky players, and they did not pan out. But um, nice to see uh, Tony go back to back, though. That was kind of cool. Yeah, I was hoping Cantlay got it going. I mean, he obviously got it going, but I, I was hoping for Cantlay to win. I'm a big Cantlay guy. But overall, it was plus 0.27 units on the betting card, um, mainly because of your round one matchup, Tringali over Kisner. If I did not add that, Let's say that that's a push. I would have been negative 0.3 units. So thanks a lot for that one. I appreciate that. The good for me, Wyndham Clark top 20, Callum Terran top 20 or top 40, and then Adam Hadwin, I believe it was a little bit of a dead heat, but the hammer kid did get through the finish line of the top 40. But other than that, uh, didn't really have much exposure to the outright market. Adam Hadwin and Webb's, uh, never mind. <laughs> I won't even say his name, but yeah, how was it for you? DFS sucked, but... Ever since the uh, the Open or the Scottish Open, I should say, I mean, all year I've been playing super aggressive. Now it's like getting to a point where I'm like making up reasons to fade guys <laughs> just because they have like 12% ownership tag. So I don't know. It's okay. I'm trying to get a little crazy with it. Maybe this week I'll, I, I think it's going to be a very chalky week again because the course is so predictive. We'll get into that, I but I, I don't think I'll be as crazy this week, but I'm at peace with the way I'm playing right now. It's your word free rolling for quite some time. So can't complain about that, but how about you? Yeah, let me start with the elephant in the room that is Sung Yul Mo, and then we can get into a more proper breakdown. Yeah, dude, and, that was, and people were dogging. Whoever was hating on the pick on Twitter, good for you. I mean, you got a fake name on Twitter and a fake picture. That's. I hope that makes you feel better. But he literally took a triple, and that was it. And he yeah. missed a cut by one stroke, and he had he was 100 yards out on 18. And I was looking, I was like, I think the cut's going to be minus four, but we'll see what happens. It was supposed to get windier throughout the day, and people did kind of struggle i hate that course man there was no defense in that course at all uh it was just it was stupid uh so i didn't really enjoy it but i mean guys like cam young tony finau Cantley, they were throwing darts all damn day but you know when charlie hoffman's career is resurrected and <laughs> something's wrong with the course in my opinion unless he's just getting healthier cool I, I do like charlie he's been good for my bankroll in the past but i don't know it was just it was it was not an enjoyable event, and I really didn't miss watching much of it. I kind of just tuned in on Sunday once I knew my laps were done on Friday. Yeah, I don't like that course either. But I mean, as far as Noah is concerned, he's a min price golfer on DraftKings. He was nearly four and a half to one Melanda top forty at the time of recommending him. We managed to crush that line down by about 150 points at the time of its closing, but that's a wager I would make every single opportunity possible because of the massive long-term edge that my model was yielding. It's important to remember that not all losing bets are wrong in the thought process, just like not all winning tickets were right or are right with it. No made eight or nine birdies plus an eagle over two days and still managed to miss the cut by a shot. As you said, Nick, because of a wayward tee shot on or two wayward tee shots on Friday, he was one of the field's top DFS point scorers for someone who didn't make the week weekend. But it literally goes back to the point I was expressing on the show a week ago that no single bet will ever be the sole reason I have a losing week. 
You can go back to that episode if you want to hear some of my thoughts when it comes to how to build a card properly, but plus 0.88 units in Detroit, thanks in part to the 4-1 and record on head-to-head plays. It did end up being a negative event on top 40 wagers, even with the 2x bet on Justin Lauer at plus 360. But like I keep saying, you don't need to be perfect every tournament to find success. If you do encounter yourself losing because of one bad call, you might want to reassess how you're laying out your units. And I know it's a weird topic to discuss since everyone has different strategies for their bankroll, but I'm more so talking to the people that are trying to grow it in a methodical sense. All those Kelly criterion strategies or any of those things there are more suited towards someone wanting to double or triple their total quickly. But we try to teach long-term ROI positivity here on Better Golf. Helping everyone think about gambling and outside-the-box perspective has always been our goal on this show. And for as much as we want to leave you with a winning week from our plays, which we did accomplish in Detroit, it has always been more important for us to help advance someone's ability to read a board themselves, since that's where the real potential to create substantial closing line value comes into play. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Nick, but if not, we can get into the tournament this week. No, I uh, I always have a saying that I can pay my mortgage with CLV, right? Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. I mean, so much value on the ticket. Oh, well, it just didn't happen. But like you said, I would 100% punch the ticket again. The more expected edge you have, um, that's usually when I hit the most, and eventually it's going to work out. So stick to the process. Trust the model. As long as you trust your numbers that you're producing yourself, I think there's nothing you could be ashamed of. I mean, just two terrible tee shots on one hole, nothing you could do there. I don't know how much we can count closing line value where I'm a firm believer that we are the ones that move that line ourselves there, but I guess closing line value is closing line value and the books respected it enough that they did move the number. Yep. There you go. That's all you could do. I hopefully uh, another book does that today because I keep punching tickets. It's almost like the Harmon factor. We'll get into that, but I'm, I'm a little scared. All right. So we have Sedgefield country club, 7,127 yards, par 70 Bermuda greens. The venue was initially designed by Donald Ross in 1926, but was remodeled and toughened in 2007 by Chris Spence. When you get a Ross design, you know that the biggest protector of the course will be the green complexes. That is once again the case here with the typical undulation throughout the property. But one of the biggest takeaways for me came down to the substantial predictive nature of rollover course history. The same guy seemed to play well here year after year. Nick kind of alluded to this originally, but I believe that creates a headache scenario for DFS since there likely will be fewer landmines if solely looking at past success at the track. But talk to me a little about what you noticed when it came to the course, Nick. Yeah, obviously accuracy off the tee is going to be very, very crucial once they redesigned that course and made it harder. Obviously, they wanted people to hit fairways here. Um, Anytime it's going to be a likely birdie fest, I, I want guys with hot putters. But proximities within, it seemed to be like 110 to 170. For my model, I think yours was a little more spread out, um, a, a little longer, I guess. You went up to one. Very similar, though. Very yeah, similar. I, yeah, I don't think the five yards matters at all. But, yeah, so uh, ball strikers pretty much. So it's probably going to be a Corey Connors week for me, despite his ownership. But, yeah, um, that's pretty much it. Not overthinking a whole lot there. I, I think if you're a longer hitter, it's, a lot of the longer hitters are probably going to club down, which is, I think, your issue with Will Z this week we'll talk about. But, yeah, pretty straightforward. We have tons of tons of data on this course, and similar type of guys seem to do well here at this every single year, I should say. Yeah, I honestly don't think Sedgefield requires one of those deep dive breakdowns where you need to get extremely advanced when talking about the venue. What you see is what you get, but I do want to discuss the differences between last week and this event since both are Donald Ross designs that everyone will want to jumble together. I thought Detroit Golf Club was a venue that accentuated options off the tee. Players could bomb and gouge if they wished to, but they also had an opportunity to be more conservative if they successfully controlled their mid-iron proximity. 
However, I don't believe that's the case here at Sedgefield. This course is about missing to the correct side because of the problematic green complexes that can quickly heighten three-putt percentage if you do find yourself on the wrong tier. For that reason, the first step of the equation has to be to find the short grass off the tee. If you're approaching greens from out of the rough, you're way behind the eight ball and trying to create makeable opportunities. You know, I went back and I listened to the show last year and a lot of people were talking about proximity ranges. And I know, Nick, you were a very big proponent that this was an off the tee course more so than anything else and primarily in locating the short grass. And we saw that come out in spades with the players that went towards the top of the leaderboard there. So I attached a little bit more weight when it came to that. I think once you do locate the fairway with your first shot, we get a ton of similar yardages over and over again which is why eight par four stretch between 400 to 450 yards and 65.7% of shots take place from 125 to 200. A lot of those other distances will be found on the par threes or par five holes, but it's a rather generic course where avoiding mistakes off the tee is where everything starts. And then you can add proximity ranges to the mix from there. I didn't include this on my model, but when I combine my total driving stat with the proximity ranges, these were the golfers that were inside the top 30 from an overall rank sense that were also top 30 in that ball striking category. It's a really big list I'm going to run through. You might want to jot these down, but I kind of believe that the winner is going to be one of these players. So that list would be Tyler Duncan, Russell Knox, Kevin Strillman, Ju Young Kim, Russell Henley, Shane Lowry, Sungjae M, Corey Connors, Adam Svensson, Christian Bezadenhout, Mark Hubbard, Billy Horschel, Nick's favorite boy, Webb Simpson, and Brian Harmon. Uh, as I said, I do believe the winner's probably going to come from that group, and that's the way that I looked at it. But uh, from a model perspective, I started with individual weights of 10% each on strokes gain total at courses under 7,200 yards, strokes gain total at Donald Ross Designs, and strokes gain total at easy scoring venues. I did 20% on weighted scoring. That would be a jumbled up recalculation of all the 18 holes. Um, you know, a lot of that's going to take the par four scoring 66.6% .6 of the holes land in that area. I have fast Bermuda plus three putt percentage for 15%. As everyone knows by now, I never love straight adding putting to a model. I think it's probably a little bit more relevant here because of the three putt percentage, but I use the three putt more than just a generic putting category. And then the two individual weights of 17 and a half percent, which are going to be the two categories that I value most would be weighted total driving and weighted proximity. The total driving took into account 80% accuracy and 20% good drive percentage. The weighted proximity remeasured all shots hit at this particular track versus a random stop. So to give a few massive climbers in expected production for iron play, that would be JT Poston, Mark Hubbard, Aaron Wise, Billy Horschel, Sungjae M, um, you know, Kevin Kisner. That's pretty much the who's who of golfers that have found success at this track in the past. But Take all those metrics, put it all together, 25% weight for current form, 25% course history, 50% from all those stats. Top five names were Shane Lowry, Adam Svensson, Sungjae M, Christian Bezadenhout, and Mark Hubbard. Webb and Henley were the two climbers for upside. I'm sure nobody wants to hear that at this point, but I will say Bezadenhout is likely my favorite golfer on the board. The upside numbers look really good. The ownership's reduced compared to most of his counterparts in that range. But what did you like this week, man? Top five for me is Shane Lowry, Will Zalatoris, Billy Horschel, Russell Henley, and Sanjay M. I don't think there's really any surprise there with any of those guys. And Webb is down, so it's nice to see that. So I don't really have to think about that at his price tag. The ownership is 
kind of sexy, unfortunately. But I'm I'm out. I'm done. I quit. I, I want to um, get into the Webb Simpson thing in a second because I do think we can have an interesting conversation with it. Not that we want to spend too much time on Webb Simpson. Uh, he's 14th in my model. That is as low as he's been in a really long time. And it's interesting because it is at a web course. But uh, do you want to move us into the DFS section? I'll let you take control of this. You move us along a lot quicker than I do, as always. So uh, we'll start in the $10,000 range. All righty. Um, Webb Simpson's out. I've already Look, relapsed this year Nick, when I said I will never play him. Let me let me ask you this question very quickly because I do All think right. it matters. And we're not going to get it there. It does, so, the ownership. At what number would Webb Simpson have to get to for you to consider playing him? It's pretty, he's at it right now. <laughs> I'm seeing like 5 to 8% on every site that I look at. So he's at the number where I'm considering it. But, you know, I have to stay strong. I vowed on Twitter I wouldn't play him. I don't care what happens. I have to stay true to my word. Until further notice, Every uh, I guess every good quitting story has a relapse or two. Maybe I'll <laughs> relapse in a couple of weeks. But I have to stay true to myself. I'm not doing it. He is out of my player pool as we speak. I just clicked him out. But Will Z at 10-9, I think I'm probably going to be out. Like you said, it, it's a very young career. We haven't seen him really succeed when he does, takes less than driver off the tee, which he'll probably have to do often here. And looking at the sports books, he's like five points higher minimum in the outrights, uh, at least yeah. the ones that I respect, than Sanjay Am and Shane Lowry. So I'd rather just take the savings and go to those two. So I think Will Z is going to be out. I'll, I'll sleep on that one, though, because if his ownership does go down, the proximity numbers for Will Z are fantastic. I think the the putting on Bermuda is probably his best spot. So there is certainly some upside there, and he's a guy that can go crazy low at the blink of an eye. So I don't hate him. It's just if the ownership's above 15%, I'm probably out there. Uh, Billy Horschel is going to be a fan favorite. I don't know if I'm there. When I look at how his success at this you know, venue, it's obviously hard to ignore, but his iron play those years was significantly better than it was this year. He really hasn't been in the zone with his approach game. Uh, obviously, the Memorial was a fantastic week for him, and he probably overperformed, which I said I think the week after we hit that outright is we just got him at the right time at a really good number. Um, but other than that, he really hasn't hit the ball extremely well since like March, so I don't know if I'm going to play a 10.3 K Billy Horschel seems a little steep. I'd much rather have Russ Henley down at 9.8. He's going to be popular much rather have Corey Connors at 9.6. Um, so what are your thoughts on those guys in terms of Will Z? Um, we don't need to talk about Webb, but Will Z and Horschel, because I think you're going to be in on Sanjay and Shane Lowry no matter what, right? Well, we always need to talk about Webb. I, we can't just like completely take them out of the conversation here, but I'm out on Will Zalatoris um, for all the reasons that you mentioned. Sure, he has the weight of proximity that you would be looking for, but it's one of those club down spots. You know, I I made this argument last week that maybe a birdie fest is conducive for him to find success. I know people don't believe that to be the case, but I'm not so sure this is the right venue. And and as you said, Nick, we're looking at a golfer who's 10,900. The ownership isn't so reduced in the sense that like he's an underdog and a massive underdog at that to Shane Lowry and Sung Jae Im in head to head matchups. That means something to me when Sung Jay's number one, Sung Jay's, uh, or Shane Lowry's number one, Sung Jay's number three in my model. So I would rather play those two guys. And that's kind of unfortunately where the problem's coming into play with me right now for Webb to begin with is when I have two guys in Lowry and Sung Jay that I do want to get aggressive with. And if we're looking at 15 to 20% ownership, it's really hard to then try to find a way to get Webb Simpson into builds. Now, if he's 5% and I only have to play 10% of him, then maybe that's the way to get into it. But um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's very close between him and Horschel. I kind of would rather play Horschel if it comes down to it, if like ownership was agnostic on it and didn't matter. So 
Uh, for me, it's Lowry and Sungjae, as you said. It's going to be the web Horschel discussion from there, depending on where ownership actually comes in. And then Zalatoris is just out for me, unfortunately, unless we get like a 4 or 5% number, which I don't believe we will. Yeah, no chance that happens. Uh, in the 9K range, I kind of like everybody. I'm probably not a Hatton guy, but the re- I don't know. Even with the reduced ownership, I think I'm just kind of done paying a premium for Tyrell Hatton, which at 9.4K, I think that's probably considered a premium for what he's been lately. Um, I know he's really good, I guess, overseas, but just on the PGA, it, it seems like any week I play Hatton, it just doesn't work out. So I'm going to I'm gonna cut him, I think. I love Adam Scott. Varner looks solid. But Denny McCarthy chalk, I think I'm out on. I really don't like the proximity numbers for him. I know course history is good, and I'll let – if I lose because I don't play a supreme course history narrative, I'll sleep like a baby. I'm fine with that. Putting's elite, obviously, but he's a dog to Brian Harmon, who's cheaper. I'd rather have Brian Harmon. And he's a favorite to Kevin Kisner. So that brings me to my next guy, Kevin Kisner. I will not be playing him. I just, I don't care about the course history. I'm not a Kevin Kisner guy. Siwoo Kim's ownership is kind of crazy. 25% the course history is impossible to ignore with him. He's literally like a walking top five here. My notes for Siwoo, I mean, accuracy's elite. He's great, even with his driver, if he wants to club up and shorten this course a little bit, I think he'll be fine there. The proximity is, I guess, the only downside there. But he's a favorite to uh, Harold Varner, who's $200 more. He's a very big dog to Corey Connors, but the pricing is damn near 1000 bucks off. So I don't really know how to treat Siwoo Kim here. What are your thoughts on Siwoo in this uh, upper 8K, 9K range? I'm kind of pairing them together. I think you're paying for the course history with him, obviously. and It's a good price, though, for the guy with upside like Siwoo. He does have win equity. When we're talking about like Danny McCarthy, I know he's had a really good season. I would much rather have Siwoo Kim and it just blindly any random venue. I think that's, that's a no brainer for me, but that's well, not really, I guess my question. So I don't know. I'm rambling again. I, I'm indifferent on Siwoo Kim. I'm not going to talk anybody out of him. Like I agree with you. Like the two guys that I want nothing to do with this week would be Kevin Kisner and Denny McCarthy. And you know, Nick, you and I were talking about this before we came on air. And unfortunately, sometimes these just become moving numbers that you can't grab in time or you can't recommend in time before it happens. And uh, I like Brian Harmon at plus 100 over McCarthy when it opened on DraftKings. Moved to minus 110. I still had about 15 points of value on that number. That's about a 2.5% edge from you know where I was at with it. But unfortunately, that's now moved to minus 120. I do know that it's about minus 150 at some of the sharper books. So you could make an argument if there's a couple. I mean, you have a couple points of value still on Harmon over McCarthy. But uh, when I run this purely for upside, which is kind of what you're saying, Nick, McCarthy's one of the bigger fades for me. I, I think he's fine for cash games. I don't think he's necessarily going to miss the cut. I think that also adds a problem when we're looking at a head-to-head wager in general, because if the missed cut equity is not there, you're going to have to deal with four days. And when you deal with, I mean, I don't want to say you're guaranteed four days of golf. McCarthy obviously could falter, but when you think you're guaranteed four days of golf, anything can happen there. So it just makes it a little bit closer when looking at Harmon versus McCarthy directly. But I really like Brian Harmon this week. I think Harmon and Bezadenhout are going to be my two favorite plays. I'm going to find a lot of exposure to them in every single market I can. I really like Corey Connors. Now I know the ownership is looking at about 16 or 17%, but like if we're directly comparing him to, I guess Billy Horschel, I think they're close, but I'd rather get the discount on Connors, play him. I would rather play him than McCarthy. I know there's a difference in salary there. I'd rather play him than Siwoo Kim. Like, yeah, once again, we're talking about an $800 difference, but I can figure out a way to make it up there. I think Connors actually has more upside than Siwoo Kim. Like, I know Siwoo Kim has the course history. That would make you believe that he can win, but 
if 17% of people want to play him and, you know, 20, I'm seeing 25, well, 25%. I mean, that's even a different story. Literally, and then, Sanjay and Siwoo are the highest owned in the aggregates that I'm pulling right now. What do you see on Russell Henley? Third. Yeah. And like, I see 20% on Russell Henley and that's the other problem with Russell Henley. He's number one in my model for upside. I think Russell Henley can win this tournament, but there is volatility there. So it's one of those awkward spots that you run into this week where course history does matter. The guys that are the chalky choices for the most part are going to be players that are going to grade well in models. I really can't find that many reasons to fade certain players. So for me, I'm trying to find any reason that I can get somebody out of my pool. And, you know, as far as McCarthy and Kisner goes, those are two guys that I at least can find a reason behind. And whether that's because I'd rather play Bezayden out and Harmon, you know, at less ownership, and I'd rather just play them in general. Maybe that's one of the reasons, but you're going to have to pick and choose your spots this week. Certainly. I, uh, it'll be a tough decision for me. Uh, moving down. So I don't know what I'm going to do with Siwoo. He did not. I mean, he does, does wow me a little bit, but we talked about that. Uh, Ju Young Kim, 8,600, close to 20% ownership tag. This would be his fifth tournament in a row. I don't know if that matters. He's super young, so I like to say it probably doesn't matter. I'm sure he can golf every damn day of his life for a while and be just fine. What are your thoughts on him? The iron play was fantastic last week at the Rocket Mortgage. He's just good. Um, I'm glad I bought low the week it mattered most at the Scottish, but, dude, he is $8,600. That's over a 2K increase in price, I believe, since the Scottish. I kind of look at just like the stock market a little bit. Everybody's buying and everybody's buying high right now. I don't know if I love that, but he is a magician off the tee. And he's a good putter. Like what? He's just good. Like, let's say that. What are we doing with Tom Kim? I guess is his name now. Chalk at 8,600. I would be very aware of where ownership ends up going. Like, you know, I think that that's the number one thing I want everybody to take away from these conversations in general. I got some con- some people that wrote me last week about Cameron Young. I know you and I were not on Cameron Young, and he obviously ended up performing, but pretty much all the answers that we end up giving are in some combination of price tag versus ownership. And if the ownership and the price tag are too high on somebody, that's where we end up taking an, you know a backward step on it and maybe don't end up playing a player like Cameron Young last week. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it blows up in your face. And, and that's just one of the things you have to be aware of. You can't play everybody on the board. If Ju Young Kim is going to be 20% owned, I have much less intrigue on him than on the number I currently have. I see him at 13.7%. Maybe my numbers are too low right now. And that's about the threshold of once he gets higher than about 14 and a half, 15%, I'm out on him. And that's going to be the answer I'm going to give to most players this week. And I know that like, you're going to have to buy into certain chalk and if I'm going to play Lowry and I'm going to play Sungjae and I'm going to play Connors, a lot of these other guys are going to have to just naturally get out of my player pool or my aggregate ownership from a collective sense is going to be out of this world. But I like Ju Young Kim at, you know, about 15% or less. I think if he reaches that 20% number, I don't have a problem of getting off of him because he is still a 20-year-old kid that we don't really know what he is at this point, which I think he's a very good player. I will say that. Oh, certainly. The metrics are insane. He literally doesn't lose strokes in like any category ever. So yeah. it's it's impressive ever since the U.S. Open. He's been on a run. So I, I don't know. I, I think with him, 15% is a great number for me because I do want to play him. You look at Circa, he's a 30-point favorite over Taylor Pendrith, who's in just fantastic form. And I, he's, I guess he's not really proven either with all the injury history he had. But uh, it says something when Circa values him that much more than Taylor Pendrith. The other, I guess, the more... Uh, accessible U.S. market really doesn't have many props on that, so I, I just 
that's kind of my source right now is looking at circuit and what uh, Tom Kim's doing at Taylor Pendrith matchups is a little bit crazy, but yeah, if it's 15%, I think you just play him because he's a safe cut maker with significant upside. I mean, circuit's got him at 35 to one to win too. Yeah. So it's insane. Uh, I'll speed us up real quick. We'll get into our bets and get out of here. Uh, Scott Stallings chalk at the seven K range. Does that interest you at all? What are your thoughts there? I guess we'll kind of just talk about the pivot points uh, or the leverage spots here. I guess JT Poston as well at 8,200. I'm out on JT Poston. I have no interest in him. Not at that ownership. I think even if he was 12%, 10 to 12% range, I would be out. I'm seeing 15 right now. You know, JT Poston won this tournament in 2019. He's also sprinkled that in with three miscuts around that. I'm out. There's a lot to like about him from a statistical perspective. There's also a lot that you're going to find that, you know, I think that victory is being baked into the number a little bit. I see 16% ownership. I have no interest at 16%. I'm out on him. I'm out on Scott Stallings if he's going to be between 13 to 15% owned. And I mean, in reality, I mean, to find a number that he would have to be for me to want to play him, he'd have to be about six and a half percent. So we're never going to get down to that number in general. For Stallings? For Stallings, yes. Okay, let's take a quick look at the board. I know we like some guys in the 7K range. I know you like Streelman. I surprisingly do like Streelman. So Vincent's going to be crazy, crazy chalk at 15%, um, probably a little higher. This may be a KH Lee week for me. I'm not sure. We'll get into that. Markets love KH Lee from what yeah, I've seen. I, I love him too. Um, other than that, I'm not finding a ton, but my player of the week for me, the guy that's going to be yeah, um, where I'm like going to be probably 10X the ownership. Let's see what it's currently at. Is Russell Knox. If Russell Knox is coming in at 5% ownership, I will have half my lamps with him. And probably sprinkle in a lot more chalk around him, like cut maker type of chalk. But I love the upside that Knox possesses at this course. Um, he's having a, a very strong year, ball striking wise. The putter's not really usually there. We'll get into my thoughts on Russell when we get into the butter, uh, the betting part of the show. I'm sorry, but um, anybody else that you want to talk about? Um, so Vincent Chalk, you cool with that? I know he's number two in your model overall, so I'm assuming you are. But yeah, Russell Knox will be my leverage play of the week if he's around five percent. If it goes up to ten. Like we kind of saw saw with uh, Sung Yil No last year, last week it was like one percent that he closed at like six to seven. That was insane. But um, what are your thoughts there? And then we'll get into the betting market. I'm okay with the Hubbard chalk to throw that one out there. I am. I know offshore markets hate Spenson, but I'm okay with the chalk there. I like Brendan Todd. There's going to be some erratic nature to him, and we can talk about him when I get into the top forty bets. But my model likes him pretty much from an overall sense, no matter how I ran it. Uh, I like Russell Knox a lot also. 18th overall, 12th for upside, 25th for safety, for a sub-5% golfer. I mean, he's top 25 in all metrics that I ran. I guess the only player that I would throw out there that the ownership is down on that I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Actually, I'll give you two players I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Thoughts on Andrew Putnam and thoughts on Mackenzie Hughes. Mac Hughes is struggling. I know that. I like Putnam. I'm in on Putnam. Uh, we just did the action show, and I, I liked everything you talked about him. But three straight missed cuts for Mac Hughes, and he has significantly lost strokes approach in four straight. True. I think I will be out, and he's not really hitting fairways anymore either. I think there's just uh, – I don't like where his game's at. I'm going to be out there. Eh, that's fair. I don't have a problem with that. I like I like Putnam and Todd and, and a lot of those guys more in general, but it's just a player that I saw that was grading well in my model. Like Justin Lauer, once again, if we drop into the $6,000 range, it's grading well. Unfortunately, Ryan Armour was one of the best values I had on the board and he just pulled out of the tournament. So that changes builds a little bit for me, but uh, do you want to get into the placement market? I guess 
for this week because uh, we are running short on time. Do you want to just rapid fire off your plays this week? Yeah, I'll get them all. So uh, it's a very, very small card for me this week. Let me see what my current unit at risk is. I guess it's a heavy card on – it's very condensed. It's pretty much on three golfers. So we'll see what happens there. I will definitely have to get exposure to other guys in DFS, obviously, to kind of balance that out. But 3.53 units at risk currently. I'm sure I'll get a couple more plays as I go down the board a little bit more tonight. But Aaron Wise, top 40 on FanDuel, minus 115. That is one of my favorite plays this week in DFS is Aaron Wise. Again, I forgot to mention that on the uh, last segment. Uh, Christian Bezadenhout, top 40 on all Canby books. That's your bar stool, that rivers, all that good stuff. Uh, minus 110. I got that price at minus 160. So 50 points of value. That is the hammer kid play of the week. And then Russell Knox, top 40 on DraftKings, plus 170. And Russell Knox, top 20, plus 450 on DraftKings. And then I'll just give you my outright card too while I'm here. Uh, Aaron Wise, 40 to 1, DraftKings. Adam Scott, 33 to 1, points bet. And Russell Knox, 150 to 1, DraftKings. I think that's probably where I'll end up. I may add one or two outrights, but I'm probably just going to be a tournament I play a lot live in. I like the Aaron Wise call. I don't have any exposure to him currently other than I do have him for a first-round leader bet, but I, I think he's, he's certainly- playing the best golf. Yes. Sorry to cut you off. I wanted to talk about him a little bit more. He's playing the best golf in his life. He, his course history isn't great here by any means, but literally his proximities are incredible. His putting has been rather fantastic this year, not the last two championships or the Open Championship and the Travelers, but everything about him he's hitting fairways he's hitting the ball long when he clubs down he's good like i like everything about him for a guy that like in terms of studs i feel like when we see tom kim priced at 35 to 1 and aaron wise priced at 40 to 1 uh 38 to 1 i guess at circus so they respect him a little bit more than the illinois market does but i i love that man i absolutely love aaron wise the only reason why aaron wise didn't make my card just for like reference sake on that because it's it's one thing for me to come on here and say how much i like aaron wise and then he doesn't make a card of mine and it's like a counterintuitive statement to make on it the reason why he didn't is just because i like christian bezadenhout and brian Harmon so much so i got my exposure to christian bezadenhout in a top 40 bet instead i am going for DraftKings to be more exposed to those two in general but yeah i mean aaron wise is upside for all the reasons that nick mentioned makes a lot of sense this weekend I think he is a golfer that is underpriced, and I think you see that with him at eighty one hundred dollars and twelve. I mean, we bet him at we've bet him at fifty again. Sorry to keep cutting you off. I'm just getting all these random thoughts. We've bet him at fifty to one in stronger fields. For sure. So forty one to me. I, I had him. I mean, real quick, and then I'm going to mute for quite some time. Uh, where is my price, Aaron Wise? I have him at twenty two to one. So maybe my model is a little crazy on him, but to get 18 points of value on the outright ticket for a guy that's not, you know, longer than 80 to one, I think that's one of the best values I've had besides Billy Horschel at the Memorial. So hopefully that's a sign of good things to come. I bet Aaron Wise to win the U.S. Open. I mean, that's the kind of upside that I think Aaron Wise has. (laughs) He almost did it. He almost did. And uh, so I have no problem with that. But yeah, I will very quickly then run through my top 40 card. I'll get to the outright wagers with it. But let's start with Mark Hubbard, top 40. That's plus 120 on FanDuel, minus 110 on DraftKings. I think we should just throw the miscut out in Detroit. Uh, Hubbard lost two shots with his short game while gaining everywhere else. And the form continues to look impressive by gaining off the tee in three straight and with his irons in his last five. This kind of Nick reminds me of the spot last week where you bet Justin Lauer the week before that. And then... I believe you jumped off him. Maybe you played him for DFS. 
uh, plus 360 last week, and he ended up obviously punching that ticket. I think this is a similar spot with Mark Hubbard, where I believe you had him last week. This might be a spot and probably a better spot to go back to him because his his best deterrent is always going to be his inability for distance. And you're telling me that distance doesn't matter here. I think he can take advantage of his seventh place mark and weighted proximity. That's a total that is 31 spots better than his expected production at a random course. I also love Christian Bezade and how I keep mentioning him. That's top 40, minus 120 on FanDuel, minus 165 at DraftKings. As Nick said, that's minus 110 at Camby Shops. That's the bar stools of the world. But for tracking sake, I will use minus 120 here. That'll make up for the 10 points I got lost on the flip side of Harmon over McCarthy. But as I've said, seventh in this field for proximity between 150 to 175 yards. That's a range that we'll see just under 30% of the shots. And even without including that proximity range to mimic the weighted scoring metric that I ran this week, he still grades inside the top 10 in expected production on these 18 holes. I took Brendan Todd top 40. That is plus 130 on DraftKings, plus 115 on FanDuel. I'm not going to lie. I worry a little about the irons here for Todd as he has lost in his past three starts. But this is one of those catch 22 spots where the iron play is always going to be bad for him. And the production only gets worse at venues where he can't take advantage of his accuracy. Thankfully, that second part of the situation will be negated at Sedgefield uh, with Todd grading third in my model for weighted total driving. And it shouldn't hurt matters that he is number one for me in putting over a two-year duration of time. I'm going to trust that combination of accuracy and putting like I am for everyone else. And if we can get a neutral or better week with the irons, I wouldn't be shocked if he finds a way to propel himself up the leaderboard even further than that. Then the only other wager that I have right now would be Andrew Putnam top 40. That is plus 170 on FanDuel and DraftKings. I like the safety that he brings to the table at that price. His off the tee metrics are 59 spots better over his last 24 rounds compared to his two year running data. And he ranks fourth in this field for weighted par four scoring. You run into the same proximity issue that you get with Brendan Todd, but not all courses are built equally, which is why some of the proximity data can be flawed. And then for the outright card, it's going to be a lot of the names that you just heard. I started with Mark Hubbard, 70 to one. He does have a negative upside trajectory total for me, but even that movement places him more in the 45 to one range being proper than the 70 to one number that we're getting. Uh, My model has him more in the 35 to one range if we're just taking into the complete picture and negating certain factors. I took Christian Bezadenhout at 55 to one. That number has seen some correction at a few locations, but I still think it's one of the better values on the board at anything over 40 to one. Brian Harmon, 40 to one. You can still get that on DraftKings. You know, I mentioned a few of the reasons I liked him during my head-to-head breakdown against McCarthy, but two top tens over his past three starts. He's the only player to grade inside the top 20 of this field for weighted par four scoring, weighted scoring, weighted total driving, and fast Bermuda plus three putt percentage. And then I'm going to save my final few bullets for an in-tournament bet, maybe a couple in-tournament bets. I don't know if that's going to be on Shane Lowry, Corey Connors, Sung J.M., Russell Henley, but I'm going to let some of the in-tournament data filter in, and we'll see what my model spits out value-wise. If I never add to the card, that's also fine, but you know, I'm not trying to artificially increase my outright total by betting everyone on the board. And in reality, everyone but Sung J.T. tees off in the afternoon on Thursday, which means we should get a boost to their totals if we're a patient and wait for some slight drift after the early competitors have posted a number. That's something to keep in mind if there is a favorite that you ever want to bet that might be going off later in the day in general. Uh, As of right now, Connors would probably be the most likely person if I do make a wager before Thursday night, but I'm mostly in wait and see mode from everybody else at this point. But anything else you want to talk about, Nick, before we let people get out of here? Any other players that you wanted to mention? 
No, I absolutely love your point too about waiting on the afternoon numbers too. Let's see if someone goes low in the morning and it seems like everybody I'm interested is in is in the afternoon and it's a potential weather wave as well this afternoon. So or Thursday afternoon for Friday morning. So that's uh keep an eye on that. But you know, other than that, good luck to everybody and uh have a great week of the Wyndham and hopefully Webb misses a cut because he deserves it. Outrageous comment to close this show. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't even know how to close this show anymore after a comment like that. But once again, thank you so much to everyone that makes us a part of their week. You can find Nick on Twitter at Picks. I'm a good friend that still gave your handle there. I am at Tee Off Sports. Please feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have about the week. And we will see you guys back here to close this season out in style during the FedEx Cup playoffs. Good luck, everyone. <laughs>